1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: Not that long afterwards, and was, of course, brought from Eastern Europe to the United States, he walked out of prison with that guard, and that guard walked out of that prison as a Christian. The salt did not lose its savor. The circumstances did not taint his conduct or his understanding because he trusted Christ. As Christians, there should be no deluded disciples among us. We should be salt. We should... Be salty. We should have a flavor to us that influences the culture around us. I can
0: see the promised land, though there's pain within the plan. There is victory in the end. Your love is my battle cry, the answer for all my life.
1: Welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount with his successful Kingdom Living teaching series. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Father, we thank you for this day. It's a day that you've made, a day that we can rejoice and be glad in, Lord. It's a day that you've given us to care for the people we love, to love the people we care for, Father, to, uh, and to serve you, our Savior and our hope. Uh, Lord, grant me clarity as we get into this message today, as we continue this series on the Sermon on the Mount, Right Side Up Living in an Upside Down World, Inside Out Living. We just pray for clarity today, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you are new today, we are in installment three, uh, number three of probably a 14 or 15 message series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount causes a lot of people confusion sometimes. Why is that? Because some people think of it as an ethic. You know, Jesus lays out his manifesto. He explains who he is and how he thinks and how his genuine followers should think, how his real followers should live. And, as, and everybody loves Sermon on the Mount, even the seculars do, because it has those nice sayings, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And people begin to think of this as an ethic, as, a, as, as, as they think of most religion as an ethic, you know, where this is the way you live, these are the rules that you do to please God. And this gets back into what I talked about the last time, there are only two religions in the world, just two. People, now they break down into many, many little denominations, but essentially all of the world religions break down into one of two categories. The religions of human achievement, where you do things to please God, to keep him off your back, to keep him at bay, uh, to earn or buy his favor, you know, to get reincarnated at the next level, whatever it is. The religion of human achievement. And then there's the religion of divine achievement. That is Christianity. It's not what you do for God, it's what God has done for you. Because when you think about it, we're all... We're not all as bad as we could be, but we're not all good enough, right? I mean, all of us have done things, said things that we regret. And as we'll learn later on in God's sight, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've committed murder already, you know? And so this isn't about an ethic. The Sermon on the Mount is a picture of a life lived that has come in contact with the one, the true, the only God there is and has been changed from the inside out. That's why we call the series inside-out living or right-side up living in an upside-down world Our world is upside down it thinks it can fix itself and we talked about this last time when I went to the doctor and with my rotator cuff and said doctor it hurts when I do this and she says well don't do that you know that doesn't do me a lot of good right just like we talked about Los Angeles with 20,000 hit-and-runs and And, uh, we said well we should make hit-and-runs against the law it already is we should make safe driving a matter of education in the school system. It already is. You can't change people by putting lipstick on a pig. You cannot change people from the outside in. That change has to take place from the inside out. We talked about London, England with a higher murder rate right now, higher crime rate than New York City. Is crime against the law in London, England? You bet it is. Does that change anything? No, because there are always people willing to do the wrong thing, willing to do bad things. And that's why they need a a supernatural encounter with God to change them from the inside out, to rewire their circuitry from the inside out. And that's what we're supposed to be as Christians, people who have been changed from the inside out. And what's inside of us should be displayed outside of us through the way we think and live, having been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, having been changed by Jesus Christ, having received from God much better than we deserve. And so that's sort of what we're going to be talking about through this whole series. And last week we got into the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes aren't things you do to please, to earn your salvation, to earn forgiveness. They're things that you do. They're ways that you think. They're attitudes that you have in light of the gift that you have received from God, in light of the grace of the forgiveness you receive from God. So last week was the Inside Out right side up. And that was where we got into the Beatitudes. This week, really catchy uh, title, Inside Out, Right Side Up 2.0. So we're going to revisit some of those concepts, except this time we're going to move into Matthew chapter chapter 5 verses 13 through 16, which is more or less what that looks like. What everything we talked about last week looks like, smells like, tastes like, feels like. So just keep that in mind. So this message is connected to the last message and builds off of it, and is probably more of an application of what we talked about last week, because we can't change the world through policies and laws and actions and institutions. The world is changed one soul at a time through an encounter with Jesus Christ, and we are the instruments in the Redeemer's hands. We are the messengers which brings me to what used to be one of my favorite TV commercials, other than the funny ones all the time, plop, plop, fizz, fizzle, that sort of thing. Um, they were all Alka-Seltzer commercial. One of my favorite commercials used to begin this way, It used to end this way with this punchline, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. You remember that? Most of us are old enough. This is first service. We, we tend to be a little bit older, right? And we remember that commercial, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. But really what it's talking about too is when you waste your mind, you waste your life, Right. I mean, Christianity is a, is a rational, reasonable relationship with, a, with God. And a lot of times, uh, we forget who we are and whose we are and how we should be serving Him. And so I would just tell you this. If a mind is a terrible thing to waste, if a life is a terrible thing to waste, our relationship with God is a terrible thing to waste. Our relationship God with God is a terrible thing to miss. And too often, Christians, as we are been talking about become distracted by the cares of the world and the way the world thinks, and we miss the point. And this video we're about to see, which is John Piper years ago when he still had hair and was a much younger man in his 40s, talks about this with a crowd of young people at an outdoor event. About
3: three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single, all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80 and going from village to village in Cameroon, and the brakes give way, over a cliff they go, and they're dead, instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? It is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when He was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. As the last chapter, before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did, here it is, Lord, my Shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. Look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it.
2: Tragedy is a wasted life. Tragedy is a wasted life, which brings us back to one of the things we discussed last week. As Christians, we are supposed to change the world. How do we change the world? through institutions, through policy, through uh, laws, through this. this. No, we don't. No, those things don't do anything in the end, really. They have no eternal value. It does no good to send somebody well-educated, well-trained, and well-fed to hell without Christ. And so we continue our discussion on the Sermon on the Mount, and we continue our discussion about asking ourselves and answering the question, how do we change the world? Well, we change the world through inside-out living, through letting them see Christ in us, through let- enabling them to encounter Christ. You know, in the, in the course of the conversation last week, we, we made some pretty tough statements about misguided activities and, and wasted time. Because as Christ followers, we, li- we exist, we live to change the world. Like two 80-something missionaries who drive off of a cliff in Cameroon and and are killed instantly. They did not waste their lives. And there's nothing wrong with boats or seashells or softball. But there is in failing to make Christ known to the people around you who are living in a world that is broken. Who are living in a world that is suffering. Who are experiencing the hardships and the slings and arrows that this world throws at them. All the anxieties and the messes and the stresses that this world offers, we have the answer. And too often, the answer that we have is obscured by the wasted effort that we put into things that don't bear fruit. So, with that, let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter five, verses thirteen through sixteen, as we get into and re-enter the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. As we come to part two of Inside Out, Right Side Out Living, Right Side Up Living, we need to understand that it's Christ who changes lives, not movements, not laws, not policies, not institutions. It's Christ who changes people from the inside out, from Geneva to Wales to the United States. You look at all the real movements throughout history, the Reformation, the Great Awakening, the Welsh Revival, things like that. It's Christ who makes the big changes. And so with that in mind, we go back into his, this is his only sermon captured in its entirety in the New Testament. And we look at what he has to say to us about our priorities and about the way we should be living out our faith, our relationship with him before a world that needs our help. So let's unpack the passage and kind of work back through it. Look at verse 13 with me. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, if salt has lost its saltiness, its properties, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Let me talk to you about salt in that era. Obviously, salt was used as a seasoning, a flavor. If A little bit of salt goes a long way, brings out the flavor in the meat, brings out the taste. It's also a preservative. In those days, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have Maytag. And so uh, they, they rubbed things in salt to preserve it so it wouldn't rot. Rot has a, a restraining effect on decay. The way we're supposed to have a restraining effect on the decay of our culture. Uh, salt was also used as an antiseptic. Uh, when babies were born to Jewish families, they rubbed the babies in salt to pre- prevent infection. And they did that to, to kill They didn't know they were killing germs. This was just something they were told to do. But it's an antiseptic. And in a way, as Christians, when you look about the history, look at the history of the world. We've had that antiseptic effect. We've killed off bad ideas, not by waging war, but by living out our faith. But in their day, now our salt today is pure, right? It goes through all these processes, so it can't lose its salty taste. But you have to remember, they were getting their salt from the Mediterranean Sea or the Dead Sea, and as a result, it it had gypsum in it, Dead Sea salt does. And so what would happen is, whereas our salt can't be contaminated their salt could be, and it could lose its salty taste, and it could lose its properties. And once that happened, it was useless. I was studying up for this passage, and there was a story of a guy who was a merchant in that era, and he stored up tons of salt in an abandoned house, but he forgot to spread a tarp on the ground, so he set it on the dirt, and the salt absorbed all of the contaminants and was useless, and he was out a little bit of money. And the point is, is Jesus is saying then and there to them, and even now to us here and now, that you don't want to dilute your efforts. You don't want to take on properties of the world around you and become useless. What they did is when the salt became useless, they threw it out. They put it on walking trails because it still kept the grass from growing. And it was trampled under people's feet. Well, you know, when Christians do the wrong things in the wrong ways, even when they do it for the right reason, they end up getting trampled under people's feet because they look like the rest of the culture and they have no credibility. That's what's going on here in this passage. A Christian who ignores his calling or her calling has wasted his or her life and time, and that's a real tragedy. That's what John Piper was describing. He had these two, some would say, uh, quote-unquote, little old ladies, and they pour out their life, and they die in the saddle. They die serving God. There is no retirement in God's economy. You don't stop being a Christian. This physician retired until she was almost 80. She's doing medical missions. But not just doing good things, bringing the message of Christ with her. And that nurse, the same thing. In fact, she devoted her whole life to that. Then you have the, two, the couple who's just, uh, you know, we've saved a little money now. We're just going to retire. And, you know, we'll eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we may die. And eventually, I'm sure. And there, theirs was the tragic ending. A life lived without service, without loving Christ. Today, we see institutions that suffer from losing their properties. When I was doing a little research on the founding of the YMCA and the YWCA, and I'm not here criticizing or pounding on these organizations, but the bottom line, they were founded as outreaches into the community to bring the gospel. And they have nothing to do with that today. The YWCA is more of a political action group, which leans so far to the left that it almost ought to fall over. And the YMCA is more of a social club, health club kind of thing. They've lost their influence. And you know what? They're losing their memberships and they're declining because why go to the Y when you can go to 24-hour fitness? Um, And so this is what Christ is warning against. Birds were meant to fly. Fish were meant to swim. Horses are meant to run. And Christians were meant to influence the culture through their conduct and their making Christ known with their lips and their lives and have that restraining effect. We talked about the French Revolution they slaughtered all the people and they headed for England and Wesley and Whitfield preaching in the coal mines of Wales, kept them out through the power of God's word. No, no political action. So you have to keep that in mind. I remember reading about Richard Wormbrand. you know who he is, the missionary who, and the pastor who was in the uh, former Soviet Union and he was arrested and his wife was arrested and they locked her up for three years of hard labor. They put him in for like 20. They told him they were going to kill him in prison. He'd never get out and see his kids. They turned his kids out into the street. And one day the guards were beating him. It was their custom. They'd come through and beat him just about every day. And they came in to warm up for the beating and he was on his knees praying and they were mocking him. They said, you're praying to a God that doesn't exist. You're praying to your imagination. You're praying to a God who you cannot see. And what good has it done you? You're never gonna get out of here alive. And your wife, she's cracking rocks at the penitentiary and your kids are living on the streets. So what are you praying for? And he looked up and said to the, to the meanest of the two, I was praying for you. When he walked out of prison, not that long afterwards, and was, of course, brought from Eastern Europe to the United States, he walked out of prison with that guard, and that guard walked out of that prison as a Christian. The salt did not lose its savor. The circumstances did not taint his conduct or his understanding because he trusted Christ. As Christians, there should be no deluded disciples among us. We should be salt. We should be salty. We should have a flavor to us that influences the culture around us. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In those days, they didn't have streetlights. They didn't have PG&E lighting the place up. And so when you travel from city to city, you did not want to be out after dark because it was like cave dark. You know, now I remember driving through the desert once and seeing Las Vegas off in the distance. As dark as it was in the desert, you could see Las Vegas. But in those days, you just didn't have that kind of light. People might leave a light on in their house so that when people got up in the middle of the night, they didn't hurt themselves. But when you were traveling in a caravan subject to robbers and attacks and things like that, the one thing that gave you hope was to see that city off in the distance and know, if I can just get there, I'm going to be okay. That city wasn't hidden from you because it lit up the sky because it was the only light there was. That's a picture of Christians. That's a picture of who we are to to be the light of the world. We are the ones with the answer. And all too often, we can't articulate it that well. But um, yeah, and so we are to be light in the world, just like Richard Wormbrand was to that prison guard, just like that 80-something-year-old missionary and medical doctor was. Verse 15, nor do people put a light, put a light, nor, nor do people put a lamp, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand that gives light to all who are in the house. Light exists to give light. So we hide our Christianity because we're embarrassed. We don't do ourselves or anyone any favors. An invisible Christian should be like Bigfoot, non-existent, a figment of people's overzealous imagination. There should be no such thing as an invisible Christian. So you, me, we, we have this mandate and mission from Christ that's given to us in the Sermon on the Mount. We see that in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works... And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In the identical way that salt flavors food, we are to influence the culture around us. In the same way it light gives light to a room, we are to be lights, not hidden in the culture around us. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that, for the purpose of, they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, our mission, we are to be signposts pointing to God we're like we're supposed to be like a finger pointing to the moon so to speak we don't want them looking at the finger we want them looking at the moon that's why we exist our inside out living driven by inside out transformation must be something that they find compelling conspicuous unmistakable and as we seek to glorify god we try to tell others about christ we try to give them the eternity changing hope giving make sense message of the gospel that you can't buy God's favor, that you can't earn God's favor, that you can't earn a seat in heaven, that would be human achievement. You depend on God to do for you what you can't and will not do for yourself. That's divine achievement. And so today as we get into the message, I just want to give you the upside to last week's message. If you want to change the world from the inside out one soul at a time, there are two commitments that you're going to have to make in order to do that. You have to have two commitments settled in your mind and in your hearts. Because you want to do more than tell somebody with a sore shoulder don 't do that you want to tell some, you want to solve problems by just something a little bit more useful than passing laws. You want to see real change, so what are these two commitments? Commitment number one is this: be light in this world. be light in this world. you can be light in this world. you say well who am i i 'm a nobody." Yeah, Richard Wormbrand was a nobody, and i tell you what he contributed to the fall of communism and Romania and he did amazing things. Where do we see this be light in the world? We see it in verse 14, "You are the light of the world. It's a statement of fact. If you're not light, nobody else is, because they're teaching the religion of human achievement. You are the light of a world, of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. A real Christian, as opposed to a professing Christian, is unmistakable in their character and their conduct. They're different. And so he's saying, "Be what you are." Be a Christ follower. Be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not a follower of this political party or that political party. Not a follower of this group or that group, but a follower of Jesus Christ. We are to be a Christ follower first and everything else second.